my first like one or two weeks at this school, the principal took me out of class. So I'm like, I'm like 13 years old. She like took me out of class in the hallway and she's like, hey Gus, like, I know you're new to this school. We're happy to have you. Like, you seem to be like a really good student. You're getting along with everyone. I just want to let you know, like, this is like a very like close knit community. Like we don't tolerate any gangs or any gang activity. And I was like, what? Like what? And it immediately clicked in my head that I had just shaved my head. So like, and that, that's how I've always, I've, I've like, I've wide, up until that point, I had always shaved my head. And I told, like, I realized what she was saying. So I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not a gangbanger. I just shaved my head. And then she was quick to be like, I'm not saying you're a gangbanger. I'm not saying you belong to anything. I'm, I am just saying we don't like tolerate that stuff in the school. So like right off the bat, like I was made to feel like, hey, like, you're like your Mexican level is too Mexican. Like you're you're like everyone like for everyone else, I was like the stereotype of like what a Mexican was. But then I would go home and I wasn't Mexican enough. Dímelo, mi gente. What up, what up? Welcome to another episode of the Quien Duetas podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know it's your boy Pavel, bring you another special episode with another very special guest. Now, this week on the podcast, we got my man, Gus Moreno. Funny thing about Gus, we've actually already had his wife on the podcast, Monte. Monte and I worked together while at Facebook. And in the midst of conversation, we brought up her husband, Gus. And we thought and agreed that Gus would be such a dope guest for the podcast for various reasons. One of them, I'm very intentional about diversity and not just diversity and culture and country where we're where we are from or our parents are from but more so about occupations as well you know what do we do for work i'm very conscious of having people on the podcast that aren't just doing the typical nine to five and aren't just doing the you know aren't just working in corporate environments the conflict between authenticity and professionalism are things that most of us face despite what careers we're in so for me, I wanna, I wanna be sure to share those stories. And Gus, he's a writer. So you're gonna hear all about his experience in his field. Now, before getting into Gus's bio and the full episode, let me just give you all a quick reminder that if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor, like, rate, and leave us a review. It's just going to make sure that these stories get heard by more people. So appreciate it. Now let's get into Gus's bio. Gus is a fiction writer whose work has appeared in various publications and anthologies. That said, in October 2021, he will be releasing his debut novel. The book is titled This Thing Between Us, and it's about a young widower being haunted by a supernatural entity possessing his smart speaker. It's currently available for pre-order and will be released October 12th, wherever books are sold. Currently, he lives in the suburbs with his wife and dogs, but never think that he's not from Chicago. With that said, let's get into the episode. Anyway, thanks for, thanks for joining us, man. I'm really excited to chat with you and... Is this your first podcast? Um, this is my second podcast. But I mean, like my first podcast I did um, years ago. So yeah, sure. This is my first podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, was, uh, what was that one about? Um, you know, it was just like a talkative, just, you, you know, kind of like Joe Rogan type deal where you're just, I was talking with like a buddy of mine and it was basically just recording a conversation that we had. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. I feel you. I get it. But now you're like this big deal publishing. Now you're on a book tour. I mean, I don't know about that, but <laughs> I don't know about the big deal part. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How does it feel, man? Are you are you excited about the book? I definitely want to get into that later, though. I'm so pumped. It's kind of surreal just because like, you know, it it starts off. You're just you're by yourself working on this thing. No one else knows about it. Um, all they know is just you can't go out you can't hang out, like you can't do these things because you're just busy, because I'm busy writing all the time. And then you get 
into the stage of like the publisher, um, still no one knows about it. And then all of a sudden I'm just like, hey, I've got this book and here's the cover and here's all this, like, and people are like shocked. It, it kind of, now I get why people think like um, overnight sensations are like a real thing. Cause I'm like, oh no, I was actually like, I've been working on this for years. Like it, 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 there's this like disconnect with like when people see that there's a book coming out and like the actual work that goes into it. I'm just like, it, it's a little surreal. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Like when you said years writing a book, I'm like, what? Oh man, it, it took me uh, like a year and a half to write the book. And then maybe, maybe like another year of edits. And right now we're in like, right now we're in the home stretch. The book comes out in October. Uh, so we're just doing like the finishing touches on it. But it just, it kind of like, it, I know the book is coming out, but I kind of feel it doesn't, it doesn't feel real that a book I wrote is coming out. Like, it's, it's just crazy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Not so interesting, man. What about what about when you were younger, man? Like, were you always into like literature, reading, always a always a book nerd? You know what? I was a movie nerd. Oh. When, I was, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, the like, earliest memories are of me saying, I'm gonna be a film director. Like that was my that was my thing. I was always gonna do films. And then my sophomore year in high school, I read the book Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. And that was the book that made me decide, oh, I want to be a writer. Because it was, I think it was the first, it was the first time I'd ever, I'd ever read a book where it felt like someone was, was uh, putting words to the thoughts I didn't know I was having, if that makes sense. Like what? What kind of thoughts? Like just, just it, so the book Siddhartha is about the, the story of uh, Siddhartha Gautama who became the Buddha, the first Buddha. And it's just about his journey as like a prince. And then he leaves, he leaves the kingdom, um, becomes an aesthetic, you know, rejects asceticism, becomes this like rich, wealthy man. Like it's, it's his journey to get to the, to be the Buddha. And, you know, it, it was the first time reading something where I like, I read a character having internal thoughts that they did not express that I was like oh what like what is this thing that you can do like it it had it was so shocking to me because I think before then I wasn't much of a reader I read you know I read the Goosebump books I read like scary things to read in the dark uh that that book series I butchered the the title right now but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, but like I was never really a, a book reader. And it was the first time that I was like, oh, wow, like you can write something. And it's it's like a private movie between you and this writer. But then I realized the writer was this European dude from like the early 20th century that I was like, oh, wow, like I've just had this. I feel like I know this man. Like if I met him, we would we would have this underlying connection that went beyond the everyday, you know, uh, job interview questions that we all, we all give each other, like, like a deep, deep connection with this, with this writer that I was like, oh, this is what I want to do that. So that was the, that was the thing that really put me on the road to uh, wanting to become a writer. That's so dope, man. Yeah, I remember. I mean, I think we all have thoughts in our heads, right? And we all like whatever we're going through, uh, we always think like we're the only people in that situation. Uh, like I remember when I first started going to therapy and I was telling my, uh, I, I, I was, I was like expressing to my therapist, like, oh, I must be alone. And she, she pretty much said like, um, I'm sorry, do you think you're my only client? Like I, <laughs> this wouldn't, this wouldn't be a living if you're my only client, you know what I mean? So like, yeah. I don't know. It just, in many ways, it made me feel normal. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I can't think of the word probably normal, but I think media in, in many ways does that as well, whether it's a movie or whether you read a book, like you feel not alone right part of this community if you will 100 percent. i think um now now pod the podcast medium in itself has become such a big thing for me there mm -hmm. are podcasts that i f i feel like regardless of what the hosts think i feel like they're my friends <laughs> i've just heard hours and hours of conversation that yeah. that uh that i'm like i you know like if 
if I if I met someone if I met them on the on the street or something I would be like hello I'm a big fan but inside my head I'm like I know everything <laughs> so like it uh yeah like it, it's it's interesting how like the different mediums that we have nowadays compared to like 10 years ago now inform our lives in these huge ways yeah yeah not for sure man it is kind of wild I feel the same way I listen to so many uh podcasters and it's just like they're giving us such a sneak peek into their lives and I'm like oh pff. like if I if I walk up to them I feel like we're best friends they're just trying to look at me like what the hell who is this guy yeah dude I every <laughs> time um like when I listen to to your show like every episode where the interviewee like pauses for you to to like offer something I'm like yes <laughs> because that I think when you listen to a podcast long enough like you want to you want more of the host really? if that yeah like i i totally believe that i like once once you become a fan of the podcast it becomes less about like like it's the what it's the the hook that like brings you in but it's like the podcaster that like keeps you so i i think like as i've listened as i've listened more i'm like no i want to learn more about pavel and like you know like the stories that he has bro that is so interesting because so I, in, when you post, so I post a bunch of clips on Instagram, right. From like different podcasts. And like, I've had so many dope guests that have been on there and they've said some dope shit and I post clips on there. Right. But legit, every time I post a clip of myself, the likes and the comments and the shares are fucking through the roof. Yes. And I'm just like, I'm like, Oh, that that's cool. Right. Like there's validation. There's like self gratification in that. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to, like, I want the other stories to shine. And I don't know, it's so weird. Like, I don't, but that's so interesting. As a matter of fact, there was, there's this one um, podcast that I listened to and my favorite episode is the one that she did of herself, her mm -hmm. own personal story. Like all her guests are dope. It's great mm -hmm. content. But the one of her, to your point, like I felt like so connected to her and yes. I'm just like, yo, give me a part two. Like there's so much you <laughs> left out. It's so interesting, man. It's, I'm, it's, and it goes back to that, what we were just talking about of that, like that relationship you like accidentally create with like a, a podcast and, and the hosts of that podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, it's a weird phenomenon. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting though. Like you got into, you got into writing and literature, um, when you started reading that, but you said early on, like you wanted to be a director in movies. Like tell me about when you were growing up and, you know, what sort of maybe professions you saw around you or like what inspired you at first to think like movies? You know, I have no idea why I thought I could be a movie director. I just, you know, growing up, I never had anyone tell me like that was dumb. Do you, like, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like it, you, you have like, now I have nieces and nephews and they tell me things like, oh, you know, I want to be, I want to be a veterinarian and I want to be a gamer. And I'm like, yeah, like do that, do that 100% do that. But as an adult in my head, I'm like, well, you're going to end up picking one over the <laughs> other because there's just not enough time. And I was that, like, fortunately I had adults around me who weren't like, Gus, you're being dumb. Like you're not going to be a writer or something, or you're not going to be a film director. Like I had, people like my family almost like went the other way where they were like, Oh, Gus wants to be a film director. Gus can watch any kind of movie he wants to watch. And like, there are, there are no age restrictions. Like really? I, I mean, it sounds reckless. <laughs> <It's kinda laughs> like, it might've just been that like, Hey, we need, we can plop Gus in front of the TV while we do our own stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, that's how it ended up working for me. Where like, I had like, there was no, there were no filters for me. I, I decided as such, I can remember second grade, um, like career day. And I went in, I went in with my mom's beret. <laughs> and I was like, I want to be a film director. I don't know why I thought a beret was like what <laughs> film directors wore, but um, that's what I did. I went in with like a black teeth, like a black uh, Steve Jobs turtleneck shirt and a beret. <laughs> I was like, I want to be a film director. So that, so second grade, that's like, I was already on board with being a film director. And my mom, my mom never 
let me like my mom never said no you can't watch that no you can't you know like or if I had questions about something my mom would just tell me so like mm -hmm. I was I, I feel like at, at a at an early age I had such a strong sense of story yeah. and 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 just like how to like put together a like coherent plot that I think now like now that's like my strong suit now I can I can plot out a story no problem like that that's like the easiest thing in the world for me it's it's the like the characterization and like um going going deep into a story that like that's where the real work is but like because I had that upbringing that like like stories for me are just this form of escapism but also this way of knowing myself yeah um that that's that's really that's really what like movies and and books are for me are like they're just mirrors they're like yeah. every book i every book i pick up every movie i watch it's a mirror and that that is really what i want to take part in that's the thing that i like i want to create something that will be a mirror for someone else um, I don't want someone to read something I wrote and think like, oh, this guy's a genius. Oh, this guy, like that. I think when you're a reader, you think those things, but like, once you get on the other side, you're like, oh, I like the, the, the thing I want to do most is hide myself <laughs> and like put the work in front of me instead. Um, so yeah, like that, that was the biggest draw. That was the biggest draw was just like the feeling it gave me and then wanting to share that feeling with other people. Do you feel like when you were growing up watching, you know, these movies or these shows that it was a mirror for you? Like, did you see yourself being reflected in some of the content that you were watching? No, I think what it did was let me know my world, like the world was bigger than what I was experiencing. Because I, I think like, like at such an early age, I had such a conflict with like my environment, with my family, like I, I think my, my life is just very, very much defined around feeling like an outsider. Hmm. So like when I would, when I would watch these movies, like I was, I was nine years old when I saw the movie Kids. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie by no. Harmony Corinne. Cra crazy movie, crazy, crazy, crazy movie. But um, so like, so for example, me watching Kids, it was like this window into a world I had zero knowledge about that reflect that, that showed just like the brutal aspects of life um, for teenagers. So I was like, so it's like the next level up for me. Like this, this is the stuff that like the people that are older than me go through. Mm -hmm. And I think what it did for me was just like, I, I don't know how to like it, how do we maybe i can like unpack this later but i but i feel like it just it clued me in to a greater indifference that the world has towards human lives like i i think there is there is a general indifference to the things that happen to us and the things that we do and a lot of times that is felt as a negative but uh, but on on another level it is this great freedom that your mistakes, your accomplishments, your fears, your your paranoia is about the future. Like it, it, it just all gets washed out in the ocean of like human experience. So like I just it just made me feel part of a of a bigger story of, a, of like a universe. And then it kind of takes the pressure off of like an individual life, like making an, indivi an individual life worthwhile or fulfilled or complete and more just like living life yeah. and just like getting, you know, like getting your experience. Like that's, that's really what that stuff taught me. Um, and made me want to become a part of it. Made me want to become a storyteller. That's so interesting, man. Cause I think it, I think for many people, like they still haven't figured that out. You know what I mean? Like it takes people 50 years to figure out that, life is bigger than just us you know what i mean because yeah. so many times we feel like the world is crumbling around us and all these things meanwhile we're like such a small part of everything that's going on around us right and it's interesting you mentioned like you felt like an outsider growing up like tell me a little bit about that like in what way did you feel like an outsider 
I, you know, so many ways. So like there were, I mean, it's a very common thing. Um, yeah. In Latino families. Like I, I think I was the kid growing up that like, I didn't like spicy food. I didn't, oh, man. Speak, I didn't Same. speak. With an, yeah. I didn't speak with an accent when I was growing mm -hmm. up, even though I like, I don't like, uh, I didn't speak English until kindergarten. And once I learned English, like I just lost my Spanish. So like I, I, I stopped talking Spanish and I spoke English perfectly. Like I didn't even, I didn't even have an accent anymore and I don't like spicy foods. So like the common thing was just like, oh, you're not Mexican. Like you're not Mexican, you know, um, oh, I like, get me the elote, but with, but with butter and salt on it. I don't want any of like the hot sauce <laughs> like that, you know, <laughs> hot pepper or anything like, oh, you're white. You're not, you're Mexican, you're not Mexican or something. And like, I know, you know, I know that's just like for, for someone else, that's just like an off handed statement. Like it doesn't mean anything to them, but when you're a kid and you just hear it constantly, constantly, constantly that like, it just made me feel like I wasn't Mexican. Like I was different. So then like, I grew up always feeling like, um, like there were, there were things you had to do. You had, there were things you had to meet to qualify as yeah. Mexican. Um, and I wasn't meeting those. So I felt like I was like other, like I was, I was a, this outsider. And then before I ever got a handle on like what it meant to be Mexican, um, I went from an all Latino school an all Latino grade school to like 90% Italian school. Um, I went from sixth grade to seventh grade to like an all, like pretty much all Italian school. There was like a very small group of like minorities. Mm -hmm. So now like that entering that world, I felt like I was like, I was too Mexican. <laughs> like, like now, now, like all my whiteness, like is not coming into play. Cause like the white people are like, no, you're Mexican. You're, you're like, you're in fact too Mexican. Um, so then I too, just made me, too Mexican. Dude, I like just, just like, yeah, like that, that, that time, uh, like that seventh and eighth grade when I was like transitioning, I went from like growing up in Pilsen to like growing up in uh, Bridgeport. Mm -hmm. So, and Bridgeport in Chicago is like a predominantly Italian neighborhood with like a history of like racist, uh, like tendencies, like racist experiences. I know when I, when I transferred to this school, um, a young black man was killed by, um, by some teenagers who like, he was like riding his bike through the neighborhood and they killed him. They like beat him to death. Wow. Um, so like that's that's what I was entering. That's what I like. That's all I remember going into uh, this school was I was like, oh crap, like I'm different. And then like once I got there, they were like, you are fucking different. But that must have been scary, man. You know that that wasn't scary because like I think even that at that age I was like, well, like I'm not gonna be going to school with the killers. <laughs> like <laughs> there, there are it's still a it's still a neighborhood. It's still like a vast group of people but like that what, what what word is it like that that temperament was there like my my first my first like one or two weeks at this school the principal took me out of class so i'm like i'm like 13 years old she like took me out of class in the hallway and she's like hey gus like i know you're new to this school we're happy to have you like you seem to be like a really good student. You're getting along with everyone. I just want to let you know, like, this is like a very like close knit community. Like we don't tolerate any gangs or any gang activity. And I was like, what? Like what? And it immediately clicked in my head that I had just shaped my head. So like, and that, that's how I've always, I've, I've like, I've wide up until that point, I had always shaved my head. And I told, like, I realized what she was saying. So I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not a gangbanger. I just shaved my head. And then she was quick to be like, I'm not saying you're a gangbanger. I'm not saying you belong to anything. I'm, I am just saying we don't, like, tolerate that stuff in the school. So, like, 
right off the bat, like I was made to feel like, hey, like your like your Mexican level is too Mexican. Like you're you're like everyone like for everyone else, I was like the stereotype of like what a Mexican was. But then I would go home and I wasn't Mexican enough. So like I just I just felt like always in between stuff. And there came a point where I decided like the in-between is where I live. Mm -hmm. Like the in-between is my, is my solace, is my comfort because no one fucks with me in the in-between because they're, they're in their circles. They're in their worlds. They're comfortable in their worlds. And in, in the in-between, in the undefined area, like I get to be free. So like I ended up, I've grown up to actually enjoy solitude like i love my solitude i love solace i like Same. i am nourished by it um it is being with other people that like people that i love like my friends and family like it's still draining on some level like and being by myself is like what i find um the nourishment in it, it's so weird because uh I, so I tell my girlfriend all the time, I was like, listen, it's not that I don't want to see you like this weekend, actually. Like I was like, yo, I need the whole weekend to myself. Mm -hmm. And like, it, well, it's, I've, I've often been fearful of telling people that, especially women that I've been like romantically involved with, because I don't want them to internalize and think it's them. But I was mm -hmm. like, honestly, I, I just need time to myself. Like, and, and like, it's not that I don't want time with you. It's just like, this is how sometimes I just need to regain my energy right and like i can't do that during the week because you know the nine to five and then working on the podcast and all these things right so i feel like during the week my brain and my mind is occupied on just literally everything else and not me so mm -hmm. yeah like i tell my girlfriend sometimes like i i just can't see you this weekend i need i need the whole weekend to myself like um but yeah man i feel you and that must be so confusing man because like you said on one side it's like you're too mexican then you go back home and they're like why don't you eat this food kind of thing? And I, I go through those same things till this day, man. And I'm, I'm 30. Um, and I don't know if I'm ever going to get over it, but I talk about this on the podcast too, right? Like I often think long-term, I have such a hard time enjoying, enjoying and, and just living in the present moment. My therapist tells mm -hmm. me this all the time. Right. But I think about, I don't even know if I want kids, but if I did want kids, I, I'm always thinking like, am I going to be Dominican enough for my kids, for them to like, understand what it's like to be Dominican that like my grandma gave me my mom gave me you know what I mean like all those type of things and and that's a huge fear of mine and um my girlfriend's actually white right now my girlfriend right now is actually white and I think about that I tell I even told her I was like yo I've always envisioned myself with a Latina and like maybe that's because I don't want to carry the burden of like being the only person responsible for carrying that culture but then yo but that shit like you said, man, like these simple things that people think is just like, oh, like people brush it off, bro. I'm still carrying that shit with me. I'm still like <laughs> dealing with it, working through it and understanding just like in my like Dominicanness or Latinidad or, or my blackness, all of those things. You know what I mean? So I, I get it, man. Yeah, it is. Uh, even now, even as I get older, I'm realizing, you know, now I'm becoming the uh, the old dude at like my my niece and nephew's parties like now i'm the uncle like i'm 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 the uncle at the party now it's it's hit me and i've told this to my wife monse like hey we have to actually like you know we can we can dance cumbia and salsa and merengue but we actually have to learn how to dance because like we're gonna be now we're gonna be that old couple at the weddings at the anniversary that like the younger kids, they're going to have to play that Spanish music because Gus and Monse are going to be there and they know that we like to dance cumbia or merengue or something. I'm like, we actually have, now we actually have to hold that up. Like, it's our turn now. It's our turn to be that one couple that the young people are like, oh shit, like, there they go. Like, so yeah, that, that, that stuff does weigh on me too. So do you, do you feel pressure in a certain way to like over pivot to one side and like, be quote unquote more Mexican in a way? Man, for a long time, yes. Now, 
no maybe maybe <laughs> just like the dancing part <laughs> and that and that's maybe just because i've like always wanted to <laughs> always wanted to like get really good at that stuff but um no I, I, for i mean for my my teens and my 20s it dominated my life um because because of that stuff so like i had mentioned like elementary school getting into high school was a whole different wrinkle to it because so before before high school i you know i was stuck between like my mexican culture and uh going to this white school and now having white friends and liking white girls and like you you know what i mean like it, it bro it, what it, was that like it was did you did you feel like a sellout because that's a, that's how i felt no it i felt like a monster i felt disgusting because what do you mean? because it was also the first time for these girls to like maybe be going to school with like someone who wasn't white. Mm. So like, I always felt like, I don't know, like I always felt like uh, once I, once I went to a white school, it really hit me this idea that like white dudes are the standard and everyone else is just a variation. Like, wow. so like, it'll, I always felt like I was like, like I, not only did I have to do the 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 like regular guy thing of like hitting on a girl and like, but I also had to overcome the fact that I was Mexican. Mm. Um, and it was it was tough because like, you know, when you're when you're young that age, no one has a filter. Like no one has a filter around you. I can remember like being at the gym with my friends um, playing basketball and like. I think we like switch teams and like I'm on the I'm on like the the side I'm I'm out of bounds and there was this girl there and she was like she wasn't in my class I barely knew her but she looked at me and she was like man you are ugly and it like oh, it it hurt me so much like it hurt me so bad because not only was I think for her she was like ugh like you just got off the basketball court like you're disgusting right now but like for me, I was like, like I'm already self-conscious that like I'm this like Mexican guy like navigating this like this white space where I know racism exists, where I know like you know like jokes were being made like when I left the room or people were saying like racist shit in front of me to like goad me into into something. So like I have that playing, I, I would have always had that playing constantly in this world. So like to hear something like that was just like devastating. Um, so I had a terrible time trying to like date white girls because then like, then I went the other way of like, oh shit, like I have to then kind of like fit their parameters. So for the first time in my life, I grew hair. <laughs> like I started like growing my hair out and I started trying to like, I tried to get like the, man, like back when I was in grammar school, um, George Clooney was on ER. <laughs> so like he had the like Caesar cut where it was like his hair pressed down. And I was like, oh, that's, that's the look that I want. But I have the Mexican hair that like, the longer it grows, it just keeps growing out into like an Afro, not like, now it it never goes down my my hair like I just it just keeps growing out and out and out, so like I had, I, it was another thing I became self conscious about that like I couldn't get my hair like the white kids, um, so it ah oh, it was awful awful time, um oh, but 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 at the same time like I realized, I also realized that maybe that wasn't my place like that wasn't that wasn't where I was going to like blossom in that next level because i realized oh i like i realized early on like seventh grade i'm standing outside it seventh grade new student i'm standing outside with like the, the the few friends that i've made in the time that i've been there and we're standing outside with like the bullies of like the seventh and eighth grade we're waiting to we're waiting for the school to open and the boys just start like um they started ranking the girls from seventh and eighth grade, just like on hotness, like who's, who's, who's attractive, who's the most attractive. And I'm listening to the boys talk and they get to like, like the last two girls in the class. And 
for, for the girl that I was in class with, they were like, oh yeah, she's hot, but like her butt's too big. And for like, for me, when I was in seventh grade, um, being caught between like Mexican culture, white culture, like I really didn't, I, I had very, very few opinions that of my own, but like in that moment when, when this kid said that, I realized like, oh, he's wrong. <laughs> like it, it, it was the first time that I'd felt like, that I'd felt something that was true that existed within me, not within anyone else. And I was like, oh, you're obviously wrong. <laughs> like it, it hit me that I was like, oh, no, 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 you guys don't know what you're talking about. And it, it was this burst of confidence that I was like, oh, actually, like they don't, they're not the, the arbiters of truth. Like they don't have all the truth. Like there, there's still truth to be had. And I've just like, I've just found something within myself. So like those, those moments would start to add up as I got older. Um, and that would be the thing that like kind of propelled me through high school to realize like, oh, I'm just not, I'm just not in the place that, um, that's going to feed me right now. And I just have to get through it. So like that, that's really the mindset that I took then from like to get like out of my teens into adulthood. Yeah, it's, it's, I often say that, you know, we, you know, we often talk about code switching and in context, we talk about it in, oh, we start doing that when we start doing professional things. But we, like most of us start code switching in like middle school, because at a very young age, we just, at, at the very least, we just want to fit in, right? Like biologically, we want to be part of a tribe. We want to be part of a group. And, you know, in, in your scenario, if you, are in the school with a bunch of Italian kids, et cetera, and you see them growing their hair a certain way, you're like, oh, I want to do that. You know what I mean? Or you yeah. see them talking about something, certain beauty standards, you're like, oh yeah, that's that's hot, this and that. But then you're like, oh shit, wait, no, that's not me. That's I'm trying to be someone else. But we all do it. Yeah. And you don't realize it. Like mm -hmm. you don't realize it until until either you've made a mistake or like an, enough of the the trauma happens that you like change. Um, because I, I also, I guess I also, f I feel like, I don't want to make it sound like I, I was always being like victimized because I do also feel like I also had a part in like, in like misappropriating other cultures because, you know, in this time that I felt ostracized by like the worlds that I was existing in, like there was the the place I could always go to was black culture. Mm -hmm. So like Fresh Prince, Bad Boys, hip hop. Like I could always, I could always fall back into that stuff because like no one was judging me. Mm -hmm. No, no one was judging me in, in this, in this culture. But as I grew older, it, it gave me a sense of ownership of like, of like, oh yeah, like, you know, Mexican and black people, like we're pretty much the same. And like, I just, I, I then grew up like, well, if I can't feel Mexican or if I'm too Mexican for the white people, like black people don't discriminate against me. So like, I ended up, I ended up taking on that, like that role of like, oh yeah, like, like I can just live in black culture. And it wasn't until I got older that I was like, oh, I'm also, there's like a Paul Mooney joke. Um, I, I can't say it, but like, he's like, you know, you like, everyone wants to be a black person until like, it's time to be a black person. <laughs> and like, like that was me. That was very much me too. Like I was, I was enjoying like black culture until like, it's time to be a black person. And like, I was not that. So yeah. like it, it's complex in that sense that, that like there are always layers there are always layers that you're like having to like navigate and undo and just kind of like acknowledge that it becomes yeah i don't want to say it becomes tiresome but it does become like this like you do feel like it's a labyrinth that you're like oh I want, like when do i get to be me yeah um, yeah, I, I say this often, man, like, because I'm part of even at work, for example, I'm part of a few, a few different employee resource groups. I'm part of the Latin at one, which Monte is, is in. And I'm part of the black at one because I self identify as black. Just 
I mean, the whole history, Dominican Republic, et cetera, whatever. Um, but to, to your point, man, like I'm, I'm around people that look like me in the Latinx group and it's so competitive in a way sometimes it's like, Oh, I'm more this than you are. I was born there. You, this and that. Oh, how's your Spanish? No accent. Oh, what kind of food do you, and the list goes on and on. Meanwhile, like I go into the, to the, to the black ad employee resource group and there's none of that. So in many ways, you know, depending on the circle, I do feel more comfortable sometimes because there isn't that judgment and those, those, uh, those pre-qualifiers, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm so interested to hear about, you know, in your writing in particular, like taking all of, all of your story and what you've been through um, in your book, you actually, the protagonist is, is a male, right? Yeah. And I'd love to hear just your thought process around, I don't know how to say this. It's like, I'm sure on one side, you want to be able to show you, right, that mirror of, of who you are. And I'm sure a part of you wants to, like, in some way show that he is Mexican, right? But on the other side, you're like, I don't want to be cheesy. I don't want to make the whole story about him being Mexican, right? And I'm sure there's, like, a time and place for both. But, like, tell me about that thought process, man. You know what? It's in the beginning of my writing, I really fought against that. I really yeah. didn't want to um, address like being Latino in my writing because it it just felt unfair. Like as soon as people would find out I was a writer or I wanted to be a writer, you know, the first thing they would say, like adults would always say like, oh, have you read Isabel Allende? Have you read Sandra Cisneros? And I'm like, why? Like, of course, yeah, yes, I have. <laughs> I have, <laughs> but like, just because I'm Mexican, just because I'm Latino, doesn't mean like I have to read only Latino writers. Like, I don't want to write like My Vida Loca or like some like top like uh, Latino story. I want to write my own thing. Like, why does James Cameron get to do Terminator? Mm -hmm. And like, you don't have to explain why the Terminator is Austrian. Like I, I want to write, I want to write a Mexican Terminator that you don't know. You don't have to explain why he's Mexican. <laughs> like that's what I want to write. But, that's, such a good, that's such a good analogy. <laughs> but like, as I started writing, I realized it is impossible for me to write about like my human experience without addressing that. Like, I think every story a writer writes is reflective of themselves like they're writing about themselves in, and i don't mean in some like pretentious way i mean even the writers who write like the airport novels you there's no way that you can write something for long and for a long enough time that you yourself don't fall into it that you don't bleed into it and like i i think like that that is what ended up happening for me because for this not like the novel that's coming out in October, I'm just, I was reading over it and it, it struck me just how much of the things we're talking about, like the writer, I mean, the, the main character like goes through because he is also navigating this world of, of, uh, of not feeling Mexican enough of not, of just being like, not enough, not enough for his own family and not enough for his in-laws and the entire, and like what, what makes it worse for him is that he also has like this like supernatural entity in his, in his home <laughs> that's like messing with him and his wife. Um, but like, like that, that stuff just like is impossible for me to not put into my work. So really what it comes down to is just, is not so much finding a way to include it or finding a way to keep it out, but just finding a way to make it fit the story I'm trying to tell. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's like a time and a place for like specific stories on like cultural backgrounds and et cetera. But yeah, I, I see, I can't think of an actor that is Latino right now. I, I mean, John Leguizamo, for example, right? Like, I don't, like, I want to just see him play a, a beautiful story and a beautiful character, right? Like yeah. it doesn't, he doesn't have to play 
a Puerto Rican dad doing something that has to be very Puerto Rican as well, right? I mean, obviously, right. like, yes, I want to feel represented, but I do also want to allow creatives to just write beautiful stories, you know? And if they want to do that, sure. But if they don't, cool, right? Like, I'm sure on some level, well, maybe not. I don't know. Like, on some level, like, you talk because there's two routes, right? There's like the independent route and then there's like going the publisher route and there are certain benefits to both, right? But I'm sure on some level when you start sharing your story, did you start getting some of that same feedback? Like, oh, this story isn't Mexican enough or this story is too this or that. Like, did you get some of that feedback as well? No, I didn't actually. I got, I think the the feedback was ne was actually never about that. The feedback was always, um, about the story, about the the novel itself, which is, I guess is now that you mentioned that, I'm very fortunate that that was never an issue. No one ever brought it up, even with my publisher. That's great. Um, it was like it was it was actually something that they saw was informing of the story, and in fact, they brought they brought ways for me to amplify the the like culture in the story. Um, you you know, just like the idea of italicizing Spanish in the book. Mm -hmm. It was something I had never considered before, um, but my publisher brought it to my attention. Like, hey, do you want to do italic italicize a Spanish or not? Because, and then they like provided me with these like examples and reasons. And I was like, oh, it is something I've never even considered. And, and then doing my own research, I realized that it's actually something Latino writers fight to this day. Like the idea of italicizing Spanish in fiction versus not italicizing it because Spanish speakers don't, there is no difference between the Spanish that you're speaking and the English that you're speaking. You just like, it's interchangeable for you. You go in and out of it. You don't like, you're not like, oh, I, you know, and then yesterday I went to the supermercado. Like it, it's just like natural for you. And when you italicize it in a book, like it others it. And it was, in, it was in that, it was my, like, my publisher bringing this to my attention. I was like, oh, I actually do want to be part, like, I see what these Latino writers doing. I want to be a part of it. I like, let's not italicize it. Um, so it's, it's been actually the opposite. Like, I've had such a great experience um, with my publisher, with MCD Books. That, that's dope, man. And it's dope that they're even educating you or like, damn, I, maybe I should have known this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew about that. But that all the time. It's it's uh I think we spoke about this before too, right? But like I remember when I started reading Jano Diaz, um, like he would often put footnotes at the bottom of his of his books. And it was often like explanations or like additional context or historical background on the bottom of it. And mm -hmm. for me, that was like the first time that I really saw that much explanation. I mean, although I appreciated it because like I I learned the history of it. I remember reading white authors and I would never see that. Like I felt so insecure growing up about reading certain authors because I felt like I needed an encyclopedia or a dictionary next to me to like look up all of these terms. Um, and I, I think that's something else that authors are fighting around, like the expectation that we need to further explain ourselves versus the reader just like doing their own research. Yes. That's a, I mean, Leah, that's a huge thing. Like, the yeah if you're if you're going to put like your your cultural background like into your work like you also don't want to like have to go on these like big like exposition blocks of like why <laughs> you're explaining why you're including this thing like yeah no like you, you don't want to do that no one wants to do that so like fortunately i've 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 had such an a great experience um writing this book like i've never had any issues with the inclusion of like I'm, I'm trying to like think of an example of my book and now i'm like blanking on it but like i've never there was there was never an issue of like oh yeah like i don't think this is gonna play for like a bigger market or something never any of that um so i've been super fortunate in that regard that's dope man shout out shout out to the to the publishing company yes. um and it's so dope man seeing just like where you started and where you are now and obviously like we're we're all continuing to work on ourselves, right? Like this isn't finished. Um, but as you continue to look at your journey um, and 
you know, your continued growth, like what's one thing that continues to empower and inspire you to continue challenging yourself, man, continue to be your most authentic self? Oh man, that is a good question. You know, my marriage, my marriage is one. I think marriage, like, as, as I continue, <laughs> I mean, like, as I continue being married, like, <laughs> there, the idea of marriage changes so much. I, when I went into marriage, it was, I thought like, oh, you know, when you love someone so much, you both like make this commitment to each other that you're going to be together forever. And that's what a marriage is. And now that I am almost a decade into my marriage, like, think about it for a second, almost a decade into my marriage, it's a marriage is that but what it what it ultimately is is this like container container that is strong enough to hold like like the fire of both of you as you like go go like against each other i think like you spend enough time with someone like your insecurities like the the worst things about you come to the surface and what a marriage does is a marriage like keeps you both together long enough that like those those impurities like get burned up in the in the constant um interactions with each other and as i get older i'm realizing like one of the biggest factors of like growth and change for me is my own marriage um so that that is like huge in and of itself and the writing the writing is also a huge part that goes into like my growth and my change because each time it's like it's like each each time i go to write i'm picking a new spot in the ground for like where to mine myself and like i don't really know what's gonna what i'm going to find like what i'm going to dig up but like there is going to be something there and i'm guaranteed it's going to be something i didn't know was going to be there and that is that is the pleasure of writing is like getting to know yourself because I mean, we ultimately don't know ourselves. Like, I, I think that's, that's a guiding principle for me is, you know, when I hear people talk, when I hear like, you know, I think people are so very, very, very strong on like their beliefs and their opinions right now. It's a time of, of really fighting for what you believe, but also a lot of times I, have it in the back of my head this idea of like well we actually don't know what we're talking about and we actually don't know who we are and it's a constant discovery um so so those are the two things that i would say like are the biggest points of change for me <laughs>